to delve into what is uh, occasioned by God's Word and His Spirit and uh, to work in a category of the Christian life that sometimes feels uh, foolish uh, because it's very much fighting an uphill battle against the stream and with uh, overwhelming force against you. And that is to talk about uh, our speech today. You might say, how in the world do we get from grace and peace be multiplied to you to talking about our speech? This is really a greeting. This is a greeting from Peter to the recipients of his letter that as he has introduced us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and we've spent weeks going through those, uh, looking at who Peter is, who his recipients are, and the theological framework there that he's already established, just in the identification of who we are. Who are the recipients of this letter? Uh, not only in his day, but in our day. We then come to his actual address to them, and that begins here at the very end of verse 2. This last phrase. This is him beginning to speak to them. He has spoken of them, but now he's speaking to them. And so this is his salutation. This is his greeting. And the greeting says, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And uh, when you go through commentaries and you look at uh, people writing about this, we can spend some time talking about what this means and what grace is and what peace is talking about. And I've done that in the past many times because this phrase begins pretty much every epistle in your New Testament, every letter. Beginning in Romans, you will find it. 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, there's a few exceptions. That is the book of James, book of Hebrews. Uh, will not have that beginning. A third John uh, has a different one. Uh, and 1 John is lacking. But pretty much every epistle will have this phrase, some of them adding the word mercy into it. But you can look at the first chapter of each of the letters and you will find this phrase or something very, very similar to it. And, and also, at the conclusion of the letters, you will find a reference again to grace and or uh, peace. At the end of them, in their closing remarks, in their benedictions, in, in, and, and sending off this letter with, again, this desire for grace in their lives, particularly grace at the end of each of these letters. And so, uh, while we hopefully have a good understanding and looking out among you of what grace is and what peace is and what the word multiplied means, I really want to take it a step beyond that. Or maybe a step before that would be a better thing to say. I want to back this up a little bit and look not just at the meaning of grace and peace, we need to do that, but the whole concept of how we greet one another. This process of, of coming in and uh, what has occurred in our language uh, in reference to sanitizing it of everything godly. That we have really... Uh, secularized our language, and this is especially in the English language, to the point that such things like this just have fallen, not just fallen out of use, they, have, they would be considered uh, 
bizarre to use this kind of language, greeting one another and, and, and uh, parting from one another. It wasn't always that case, but it has steadily become that case. Really, uh, for the last 150 years, it has really moved very strongly uh, in that direction. But really, uh, for centuries, it has been the abandonment of these biblical concepts of greeting and of, of salutation and moving toward a secular one. And so today, I'm going to introduce you again and we'll define for you grace and peace. It's important that we understand those concepts and then look at why we do not uh, greet one another this way and how we do greet one another. Now, I've purposely not... Um, although I've been working on this for a while, and uh, because you know that I give my notes to the song guy like weeks ahead, so you know I've been thinking about this for a while. Uh, I've been purposely trying not to change my speech yet till today. And you guys know that I work at changing speech patterns. When I come across them, I feel convicted about it, and I want to change them. And it is extremely difficult to do. You have noticed perhaps that for years now I've been working very hard at referring to this day as the Lord's Day and trying more and more to abandon the use of that other word that describes this day that's on your calendar. Changing speech is extraordinarily difficult. This is why James says that if a person has control of their tongue, they're perfect. That's the word he uses. If you can control your tongue, because it's a dangerous thing, your tongue. You might say, well, does it really matter, pastor? Does it really? Well, apparently it does. That your speech is the rudder of your life. That it discloses to us what is in your mind and in your heart. And so, yes, it does matter, the words that we use. We usually go to talking about our speech, and we usually focus on, well, we're not going to say these bad words, and, and we teach young children those are bad words, you don't say those, uh, and you can replace them with these uh, modified bad words. Okay, we all have the, that lingo that we, that we permit in our life. And, and I, I've strongly eradicated, you won't hear those words in my vocabulary, um, I will not shorten the name of Jesus and use it as an expletive ever. I just don't use those. Um, and that has taken a lot of work from a very, I was convicted of that as a teenager. So I've been working at that for 40 years, 40 some years, and, and that's mastered in my life. It can be done. I want you to know that changing speech patterns can happen. That we can go from the secularization of speech into making our speech godly. But and certainly when we talk about this, we talk about getting rid of gossip and speaking out of place and, and with disrespect and, and rudeness and all those other sorts of speech. And certainly those can be addressed. But notice what we've really been focusing on is getting rid of bad speech. But we know that to really benefit this, to really be successful in having godly speech, we can't just eradicate the bad. We need to develop the good. We need to develop good speech patterns. 
and replace them. And what we find is that while we are struggling to get rid of this kind of speech, we seldom have good alternatives to connect to. So when I uh, something goes bad and I want to say something, um, <laughs> I've noticed the words that I use. Uh, I used to say Joseph Smith a lot um, when, I wanted to, when things didn't go my way. Um, if you don't know who that is, that's okay. But I, shouldn't, I was convicted of that because you shouldn't curse man either because he was made in the image of God. And so I stopped using that. That was in my early pastoral days. And I got some people, you know, why are you doing that? And it's like, oh, I, don't, I, I shouldn't do that. So I stopped doing that. Now I just say boogers or something like that. Um, because we say things that, to communicate frustration and anger and things like that. Uh, but what are we able to say that is godly, that is exalting to the Lord? And this is what we want to talk about is just our greeting to one another. How do we greet one another? Now, the Bible talks about how to greet one another, and of course, the one that comes to mind in many people's minds is it says, greet one another with a holy kiss, which we don't do, uh, in this culture. Uh, by the way, when you go to some other cultures, they do do that. When we went down to Peru, they, you come into church, they greet you with a kiss on the cheek, and that's just the way it is. And in other European cultures, you see that as well. Uh, and we don't do that, and yet it is clearly in God's word. And so I'm not going to start that during a pandemic, so-called, um, because you guys would just freak out, all right? So I'll, we won't get there. I'll just give you a holy handshake uh, for the time being. We'll, we might be able to work there. But we want to talk about our salutations to each other. How do we greet one another? So let's talk about our greetings. Let's talk about the word hello, hi, hey, howdy, okay? Um, all of them are derived from certain origins. Uh, interesting that hi and hello are really very modern uh, words that really didn't come onto our society until the invention of the telephone, really was when they became popularized. Uh, Alexander Graham Bell wanted to use the word ahoy. He thought you, every time you answered the phone, you said ahoy. Um, he must have loved the sea, his, his former sailors, I don't know. But uh, instead, hello caught on. That that's, and as a modification of a British term, ha-alo. And you'll hear it in Spanish, hola, uh, which is really derived from the same Latin base. And it really talks about your health. Um, the word hi, different than hello, is derived from the German side, which is also talking about your health. Hi, H-I-E, is how they would spell that. Um, and so, and, and you would recognize hail, um, H-A-L-E, and also H-A-I-L, hail Caesar, things like that, talking about long life, giving health to someone. So you're inviting and you're invoking a, a, a blessing of health. Hi, health to you. Howdy comes from how do you do, abbreviated in the South, um, because they do that a lot. And, and, uh, and you say howdy, how do you do is, is repetitive. Okay, you've just said the same thing twice. And, uh, and that's where it's derived from. What I want you to notice is how God is missing from almost all of our greetings. 
And that's not true in every language, and that's why when you look into Spanish, uh, particularly as you depart, you'll say adios, which is to God. I'm going to give you to God. The other one, um, oh, there's the other Spanish term I was going to use today. I forgot what it is. Vaya con Dios. Thank you. I knew somebody would help me out there eventually if I just stood here quietly. <laughs> Vaya con Dios. Go with God. And so God is still in that language, and it has persisted to this day, uh, and, and rightly should it. But why in the English language is it gone? Now, I grew up in the 60s and 70s where there was a group of people, there was a Jesus movement going on uh, that kind of was confused sometimes with the hippie movement that was also going on with you know, drugs, rock and roll, and, and sex, drugs, and rock and roll is what they were all about. And, but uh, it was, you know, by this, peace, one of our words today. That's how we greet each other. And by we, I mean them, because I wasn't one of them. <laughs> I was kind of young. Uh, but they were all right, peace, brother. Peace, brother. Does that sound like First Peter chapter 1, verse 2? Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So even that had at least some biblical reference point, peace brother, back in the 60s and 70s, although it was characterized as people that weren't socially acceptable. Interesting, isn't it? So it's okay to use secular greetings, but not something that has a connection to God's word but of a very important words. So let's talk about these two words and see if there's a means of incorporating them to our language, into our patterns of speech. And that's a, a lot of work. I understand that. And there are references for this. There are places for this to be used and places for it not to be employed, uh, strangely enough. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit. Let's talk about grace. Grace is the unmerited favor of God. That, that when you are inviting this, you are making, this is a statement of blessing. You are saying, may God's grace be upon you. May God's unmerited favor fall on you. That is, not that you have earned it. That, and certainly there is a word for favor, that you have found favor in the sight of God, that is based upon a righteous life that is walking the walk as well as confessing with your mouth. And so there is an aspect of finding favor with God and with men. We saw that in our study of parenting, that uh, you can grow in favor with God by being obedient. Uh, but there is unmerited favor, which is grace. That is something you can't earn and don't deserve. And we recognize that grace is something we can bless all men everywhere with because God has extended his grace to them. We talk about salvific grace certainly is involved in this. And that is that we do not deserve to be saved. But neither do we deserve the rain to fall upon our land. Neither do we deserve the food that we have, the air that we breathe. These are all aspects of God's grace. And we call them universal grace. That is, all men experience some of the grace of God, all men that are alive. They experience that grace of God that sustains that life, that gives them general health, that gives them food and shelter and clothing and, and all the benefits of the community of, of, of humanity. And so we say grace to you. May God's favor 
be upon you, not by what you deserve, but by who God is. Grace to you is invoking God's blessing on people's lives beyond what they deserve. Certainly we want them to uh, seek to uh, walk in obedience and, and, and desire to please God, to seek that kind of favor, but we understand that that really can't happen until they first understand undeserved favor. When they begin to understand you don't deserve this, but yet God, I want, I'm invoking God to bless you with undeserved favor. And this is, this is somewhat communicated when we say hi and hello, and we're asking really hi, where we're asking health upon you. And yes, in 3 John, uh, there is that salutation, 3 John, that uh, may the things prosper and may you be in good health, uh, written to one individual. But in a general sense, we are asking for God's unmerited favor upon each other. May God give you what you don't deserve. One of uh, my favorite responses to people saying, well, how are you, is better than I deserve. What are we saying? We are saying that I am the benefactor of God's grace. And since you didn't ask me or bless me with the statement of grace to you, I am communicating to you that I am a benefactor of grace already. I once said that to someone, a group of Christians actually, uh, Bloom Fiesta Park, and I was chastised for saying that. How could you say that? You, you're a child of God. You deserve everything good. Oh, no, I don't. I'm a sinner saved by unmerited, undeserved favor of God. And day by day, I rely upon his unmerited favor. I pray for his grace in your lives and in my life. Lord, I know we don't deserve this. And we could start the list off, and the list would be really, really, really long, wouldn't it? Of things we don't really deserve, because we haven't really earned the right to them. And so we are living in grace. And when someone says, how are you today? And I says, I'm doing better than I deserve. Uh, and they start to chastise me um, in this spiritual language. Uh, I understand they don't know what grace is. They have a concept that is taught in too many churches that we deserve the blessing of God. And that robs God of being gracious. And it applauds men's behavior and choices. So we want to emphasize grace, that we come and communicate to another, one another, may God bless you beyond what you really deserve. And if we can't use the word grace because it is not understood by people, let's understand what the word grace means and communicate it to one another and to others. I hope you have a better day today than you deserve. Leave somebody with those words someday at work. Hope you have a better night than you deserve tonight. And see what response you get to that. Here's what they're going to think. Don't you think I deserve a good night? Isn't that what you would anticipate would be their response? Is that by saying that, you are saying, I don't deserve to have a good night. 
And this is the perfect introduction. That's why I say you can use this even with unbelievers, and maybe particularly with unbelievers, because you're trying to communicate to them that they need God's grace in their life because they deserve hell. That's what they have earned. The Bible says so. The wages of sin is death. Misery is the result of sin. Pain is the result of sin. Broken relationships is the result of sin. All, since you are a sinner, you deserve a miserable life. And I am leaving you with this word. May you have a better night than you deserve. And you take offense at that. And I should be okay with that because now it allows a conversation to happen. Maybe that's not the end of the night. Maybe it might be the best night of their lives because it might be the night they understand grace because they had somebody communicate it to them. And so because we can't say grace and they don't really understand it, grace to you as you go home tonight, that's not going to, it's a whoo right over their head. But if I say, I hope you have a better night than you deserve. Now I've just gotten their attention. So we could all try that this week and see if we come back with bloody noses and eyes <laughs> next Lord's Day. But, <laughs> but at least you'd have opportunities to get people thinking a little bit. And here, here's Peter coming to you and say, I want you to have, as a people of God, as the elect, as the chosen, as, as the ones who have, have applied the sprinkling of the blood of Christ and the sanctification of the Spirit, all those wonderful things we've been studying for a couple uh, last weeks. Um, he comes to you and says, I hope you get what you don't deserve. I hope this continues. I hope the grace of God continues to, you, to, to come to you and multiply to you. So grace be upon you. And this is a blessing. Oh, that we agree one another with these kinds of blessings. Instead of the sanitized and, and largely ignorant blessing, because most of us don't know what hi and hello mean. And hey, by the way, hey, uh, I used to be annoyed at hey, you know, but it's actually the oldest of the greetings. Hi and hello are the more recent ones. And so, and again, it's derived from the German. Uh, and and health. You're just you're saying health, health to you. Well, can we have something more significant? Grace is much more than just health. It is so much more. It is all that God gives to us that we don't deserve. And then the second word here is peace. Peace, brother. And, I, and if I start telling that, saying that to you when you come to our peace, uh, you'll know why now from now. If I started that this morning before the sermon, you say, what is wrong with pastor? Now you know what's wrong with him. He's thinking too hard about his words. And words matter. Language matters. James says so. And some of you are looking at me like, James says so. Let's go to the book of James. It's the previous book right before First Peter, so it's real close. It's James chapter 3. Let's read this section. It's 12 verses. It's worth inserting into our collective conscience right now, our, our uh, recent memory, instead of just uh, thinking we know what it says. My brethren, let not many of you be te come teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble on many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles." 
And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and is set on fire by hell. Let that sink in on you a little bit. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brother, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. So, we come to understanding that our speech matters in our Christian living. It matters before God. It matters whether you are doing speech that is indicative of hell or speech that is indicative of heaven. I prefer to work hard and do what is required that my speech would more reflect the language of heaven than the language of hell. And that is the measure. And so, uh, words do matter, and I try to be careful in the use of them uh, and work hard at making them more and more biblical. But again, as James says, it is an unruly thing, your tongue. And it's untamable. doesn't mean you shouldn't try. It just means you have to understand that this is a lot of work. When someone becomes a Christian, uh, I'm accustomed to them using coarse language. It's perhaps one of the last things that really can be transformed in their lives. And yet I have encountered some who the moment they became Christians, I'm getting rid of that, and have put it away. And I applaud them. I'm like, wow, you, know, you just transformed your whole language base. But when I encounter people that every other word is a curse word, is a, is, is, is a horrible word, and that's their normal language, they use it, and, and don't think that that's just sailors anymore and iron workers. Um, it's five-year-olds because mommies are using it at home on, the, on their cell phone or in the car on their cell phone. So five-year-olds are running around doing that. And so uh, when they get saved, when, to transform that coarse language, and they, they keep saying, excuse me, excuse me, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And sometimes even when they're not saved and they know I'm a pastor, they try to correct it and they can't. Because the tongue is an unruly evil. It tells the origin of what's important to you. And here, Peter, like Paul and John and all these biblical writers, greet you with grace and peace. The peace we're talking about, of course, is uh, that right relationship with God, that we have peace with God. It's not just an absence of conflict. It's in a communal peace. It is that, and so yeah, peace. Um, it, it truly is this, this sweet communion that we are at peace with God. We can have peace with one another that we'll seek peace. And we understood from our study in John 14, 15, 16, if I can go way back there months ago, of this is one of the, one of the highest uh, levels of the Christian walk that the epitome of Christianity on earth, remember that one of those words was peace. 
that we should have a settledness in us, that we should just be content, that there should be a, a, a calmness in our life, that there is uh, well, there are things that ruffle us and, and might fluster us and frustrate us, that we have a, a trustworthiness in Christ. And we, we, he knows that we know that he can be trusted with our lives, that we can run this course, and though the world be against me, I can, I can proceed. Unencumbered by worry and, and all the things that go along with that, that we can be at peace. And then there is certainly the concept of, of lack of conflict as well. That we are inviting this, may you be content, may you be at peace, uh, uh, an absence of conflict, but ultimately will you, that you would be right with God and man. Oh, that you would be right with God and man. That peace would be multiplied in your life. That there would be contentment, that there would be all these things that, that we find in God's word that is the result of, of salvation. And this is something, again, that is, you are invoking this as a blessing upon someone. Peace upon you. Peace be multiplied to you. You see, what we usually do is, may you get lots more stuff. May things be multiplied in your life. When God says, let peace be multiplied in your life, that is contentment. May you be satisfied with what you have and maybe with less than what you have. Be a little less attached to the things of this world and be at peace. And this is the concept here that we are trying to communicate to one another. And again, I would just invite you to just start in Romans with the first epistle there. Go through the first chapter. You won't have to read many, many verses. Go Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Go right through all of them and you will find grace and peace, grace, mercy, and peace be to you in the name of God, our Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. This is a salute, this is a greeting from a person of faith, of a godly man, to a people of faith, a godly people. Oh, that we would raise our language standards. And I know, like I said, this is, this is me hitting my head against a brick wall. I understand that because language always degrades. Always. Every culture, language degrades. That has been going on since the Tower of Babel. Correct? It is just our language has degraded, and now we don't even have really a language. Our language is now letters. You know, L-O-L, B-T-W, because it's all texting. Our language has degraded. There's no vowels, unless the vowel is a word. And, and, the designations are, you know, and that started during my generation, and it has just continued to degrade. And so language degrades, and here I am trying to go the opposite direction. I know I'm going against a flow that uh, most Christians are just floating down this stream and not really fighting against it at all. Uh, I try to fight against That's why I use vocabulary words that you're probably not familiar with. And it's okay to come and ask me, what does this word mean? I would love, I love that. Because it means you're willing to explore and realize, I need to add this to my vocabulary because the pastor keeps using that word. And I don't know what that word means. I had one gal after years in my church, and I don't know how many times I use this word, and I, I talk about um, the, uh, the corporeal body, of the, the, that we are the body of Christ, and I use the word corporeal, which is 
the same. And so it's that body that, that, that we are cooperate, that we are a group. We are not isolated, an individual. And she didn't know what that word meant. And came and asked me, and I'm like, well, thank you. You should have asked me several years ago, the first time you heard it, uh, to develop our language skills. This is why I love doing crossword puzzles, and yes, when I was young, I used to read a dictionary. I wanted, because I figure I'm a young pastor, I need to develop my language skills, and the world doesn't want that. We're down, pretty much, we're going to be down to grunts and, and things like, uh, uh, uh. Okay, you might as well go to the nursery and work, because that's all I get in the nursery Sunday school class. Ah! Ah! You know, is that what we're down to? No. So we're fighting against a flow. And I recognize that. I recognize there, there is some level of frustration that uh, we can't be emphatic about this. And, I, and, and similarly with uh, some other issues in God's Word that I preached about, and I can sit there and hammer them and hammer them and hammer them, but I've taught it. You know it's in God's word, whether you conform yourself or work to conform yourself to it or ignore it and just want to persist in going the world's way um, is for the Holy Spirit to do in you, not for me. But in my life, I want my speech to be characterized as being from heaven's source and not hell's. Hell wants to remove God from our language, period. We complain about prayer being removed from our schools back in 1962. Yes, June. That was my, I know that because it was my birthday. So when that was settled, was the, I was born that week. Okay, so we re- complain about prayers being removed from schools, but we have removed God from most of our language. We've removed spiritual terminology. We don't know these words. We don't use them. We don't use the concepts of blessing, of speaking the word of God to one another. We, our language, our conversations have been sanitized of the divine. And what has filled them is words from hell. That's what James says. That's the tendency of our speech. And Satan is all about helping that. The world is all about helping us that in that direction. And we are called to something better. And, and even in our letter writing, uh, what do we do? We just say, dear so-and-so, and then we get right to it. Every letter I get from, from India, I lo- from Indian Christians, uh, always say, uh, we are doing well by God's grace and your prayers. This is a phrase they use if I'm talking to them, or if they write to me, it is a phrase they will always use. Always. And that's not just one man, not just Pastor Reddy, but all of them. Even the children when they write to us and and spoke to us. By God's grace in your prayers, I'm doing well. We are doing well. By God's grace in your prayers. It is just, you might say, well, that's just, well, it's better than saying, okay, which is the standard, I'm okay. Standard response to how are you doing today? I'm doing well by God's grace in your prayers. That's the Indian response. Why? Because they have persisted in keeping their language couched in heavenly terms instead of sanitizing it of them. Because as soon as you extract heavenly terms, all that is left is secular terms and those that are derived from hell, James tells us. Let there be no mistake what's going on here. 
And as our speech is called upon to be uh, truthful and honest, it's also called upon to be gracious and to uh, encourage, and even when we rebuke and correct and instruct and righteous, that we do it um, <clears throat> with love and grace in our lives. And yet we have lost the terminology that is gracious, that is divine, that is, that is biblical. We've lost that language. And I love the testimony this morning of one of the songwriters that if you're bad at English, go do, write some poetry. Um, if you're bad at something, you don't just go with the flow and just surrender. Maybe our speech isn't where it should be. Don't surrender it. Put more effort into it, and suddenly it will become something that you uh, enjoy, something that begins to captivate your mind, that my speech might be in accordance with biblical concepts. Oh, that you, we would go around and say, may, may God give you what you don't deserve today. May you be blessed by God's grace and peace. Grace and peace to you. That we might pick up the phone and say, peace, brother. Hoping that it is a brother, might not be. If you don't, know the, if you don't recognize the number, just say, peace, whoever you are. Hope you get what you don't deserve, whoever you are. Um, see how that conversation starts, especially if it's a telemarketer. Get what you don't deserve? Huh? Oh, that our language would just in its nature be against the grain, against the flow, because the flow isn't going to a good place. And Peter and Paul and these other, and, and John, even in the book of Revelation, again, I mean, it begins and ends. Grace to you, peace. And we are called to salute one another in these kinds of terms. Oh, that our minds would be so desiring to bless one another that we would invoke these kinds of terms and not just say, I hope you're in good health. Now, I'm talking to you today from someone who's not really in great health. And so I appreciate the high because I would love to get rid of some pain when Andrea threw me off the scaffold, you know, <laughs> when I fell off the scaffold, Andrea was there and didn't catch me, okay? Um, she could have jumped down under me so I could land on her instead, no. But, uh, yeah, I appreciate that, but I don't think you really mean that when you say hi, because I don't think you have any thought behind it, that you're really inviting a blessing of health on someone. But how much more important, how much more valuable becomes our greeting when it is thoughtful and we are saying, even if it is a rote thing, oh, grace and peace be upon you. We see it in other cultures. We see it in other religions. Interesting that in Islam, you know, that uh, Allah be merciful. And, it's, and they don't have a gracious God. They only, have, they only ask for Allah's mercy. They never ask for his grace because they only view God as someone to avoid, not someone to embrace. So they only, to them, Allah is there to judge, 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 judge. He doesn't really do anything for you. 
And so their concept of heaven is you get to go to a place where you have 70 women, I can't imagine that, <laughs> where there's no Allah. Think about that. They keep asking, Allah be merciful, Allah be merciful, because all they think of is their God is a judging God. We have a gracious God who is also merciful, who not only withholds punishment, but grants us things we don't deserve. Oh, we have an opportunity. Why have we allowed the world to eradicate this kind of language from these kinds of words from our speech? And we have allowed it. All that takes is to just not think about it. It's called the law of thermodynamics, the second law of thermodynamics. It's called entropy. If you do nothing, things will just degrade. <laughs> and that's what's going on in most of our language. It just degrades to the lowest denominator. Uh. Uh. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes concentrated desire to get to a higher level, to develop that. And yes, uh, to develop a biblical language and to be comfortable with that. And, and early on, it's going to be very uncomfortable and it's going to turn a lot of ears and, and it might have even people, uh, even quote-unquote Christian people, trying to correct you. Saying, oh, no, you can't say that. Yes, I can and I must because it's true. I am doing better than I deserve. And I can say that in any and every situation on the earth. In prison, hungry, cold, it's better than I deserve. God's grace can still be with me. These are the words Paul wrote from prison. I'm cold. Bring my cloak with you if you, can, if you remember. I'm cold, but I'm still in God's grace. He's given me more than I deserve. You see, Paul's concept of what he deserved was I'm the worst of sinners. I deserve the worst, and God has forgiven me and blessed me. I want to bless others. How do I do that? I invoke with my mouth, with my pen, these words, grace, mercy, and peace be upon you. Not my grace, not my mercy, not my peace, God's mercy, God's peace, God's grace. And that's why he always in those phrases says, uh, grace, mercy, and peace of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ that Paul uses consistently in his greetings. Here, it's already been couched in the previous statements in the Holy Spirit, in the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, in the, in the knowledge and the preparation of, of God, the Father. And so we've already presented the divine source of this blessing, and now comes the blessing itself, grace to you, and peace be multiplied. Oh, that we would couch our language in who God is and what he has done for us and then communicate it to one another. But we don't. Not often enough. We try. We work at it, I hope. But we can do better. And we can do better if we encourage one another in it and to say it. 
I've tried before my children and my family and myself, because your words affect you as well as everyone around you. It's important for you to say things out loud sometimes for you to hear it. Is that when I have a particularly good things or things go well, I say, well, God is good. God has given me, God has really blessed this. And the work of our hands has really been productive this day. And God has blessed that. And give God the glory and the praise. Praise comes from your lips. And blessing others comes from your lips. And it is vitally important that we take these kinds of words and put them on our lips and say them to our children and say them to our spouses and say them to our brethren in Christ and say them to our co-workers and say them even to our, the world. That we are here about peace, grace, mercy, love, salvation. These are what we are here for. The world is full of hate and calling everybody a racist and calling everyone a sexist and calling everybody this and that. And, and yes, our president is involved in that a little bit too. Well, a little more, a little bit. But we're all, and notice that what's coming out of our speech is divisive. These words, if they do get someone upset, reveal their spiritual condition. So now I can address it. I can address the spiritual condition of someone who doesn't understand what grace is by, by trying to correct me for referencing God's grace. I'm pretty sure if I just said, I've been graced, she would have been all right with that. But because I said, better than I deserve, which is grace, <laughs> she took issue with it. And not just privately. I mean, this is a, group, a whole group of people there. She wanted to correct me. And I corrected her back. I said, don't you know what grace is? Oh, that we would, with our mouths, communicate spiritual truth to one another, even in these mundane things that we say. All mundane means is that it's repeated every day. And if these kinds of words aren't mundane to you and they're somehow only to be used on the Lord's day, then I would contend to you your faith is not daily. Your spiritual walk isn't daily. Praise God daily. Bless one another daily. And it's interesting that the next phrase, um, after he blesses them with grace and peace in verse 3 is blessed he blesses God this is exactly what James talks about you cannot bless God and then curse men you cannot do these things and I learned that many years ago and so I stopped saying Joseph Smith when I was mad okay. everyone else was using my Lord's name when they were mad so I started using their and that was a mistake. That was wrong. It's kind of funny, but it was wrong. Especially if you're playing basketball at the Mormon church. That's really not a good thing, place to say that. We do not bless God and curse men. That's called hypocrisy. It is an inconsistent thing. And so I use my speech 
to bless men, grace to you and peace. And they might not understand those words very much, um, but it gives me opportunity. Maybe someday, maybe years later, they'll ask, why do you always say that? And that's the conversation I've been waiting for. That's why I use those words, is that one day they will come and say, why do you say that all the time? Why do you say, I hope you have a better night than you deserve as you leave every night from work? Why do you say that? Don't you know how it offends us? It's the offense of grace. Because the pride of man cannot acknowledge grace. And this is how it begins. How these conversations turn. And, and Jesus Christ is a master of this. How did he turn a conversation about getting a drink into everlasting life? How do you turn a conversation about whatever Nicodemus wanted to talk about to how to be saved? He introduced odd things that people aren't used to hearing. Oh, you have to be born again. What? At the, what? I don't get that at all. Nicodemus, I don't get the Samaritan woman of the well. Huh? How are you going to? You don't have anything to draw water with. How are you going to give me living water? Oh, that we would be willing to say odd things that uh, have heavenly origins that would lead into significant conversations about spiritual matters. So yes, not only use this on one another to encourage and truly bless one another, but use it on the world as well to bless them if by no other means than by inter- by giving them words they're unaccustomed to hearing that they might ask the meaning of those that you might truly bless them by introducing them to Jesus Christ and that they might be saved. How, what greater blessing can you give to a person's life? Oh, that our language would go upstream instead of just float down the degradation of language that we see in culture as we move farther and farther away from biblical, godly thought and thus less and less biblical, godly speech. You want to turn your life? You have a rudder. You have a bit. You want to turn your life to be a little more godly? Work on your speech. On those phrases that you just take for granted, that you don't even think about, think about them. Transform them into biblical speech that you might have opportunity to minister to truly bless and be a blessing to others. Let's pray.